Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Cracked Real Podcast. This is episode three, already at the big three. Um, was hoping to have an episode last week, a second episode, to have two in the one week, but I ended up just not getting around to it. My, my plan was to go to the cinema on, like several days throughout the week and catch up on a fucking load of stuff and then by Friday have a, another podcast out full of the shit that I got to see. But that didn't happen. Um, I do have some reviews for stuff that has come out Friday though, so there's lots to come today. And I was hoping to get to see Bad Boys for Life and Queen and Slim, uh, particularly Queen and Slim, because I've had a thousand fucking opportunities to see that now since before Christmas. Uh, I think there was two screenings then, and then there was two screenings last month, and I missed all of them. Uh, with the intent, I was really planning to see the last one too. It was a proper premiere of it, and unfortunately, I didn't get to see it. Um, and it's out now, and I don't have a review for it, so you'll probably get that in the next week or so. Uh, I'm going to try have two podcasts this week. I'm planning to finally do my top 100 of the decade. Uh, it's very stupidly ambitious, and I'm half thinking, see, I was going to write my top 20. I prefer writing those. I think they, they read better than they would sound on a podcast, because for the, the top 100, I mean, I'm, I'm not all that fucked going through it and actually ranking it by the position that they'd be in in the top 100 i think i'm just going to do the 100 movies and kind of just cherry pick them as i go through it and eventually whittle my way down to my favorites rather than just have it like okay number 79 is better than 78 for this reason i don't have a fucking reason they're just the 100 best movies out of the thousands i saw over the last fucking 10 years so yeah let's crack on with the show um first i'm going to talk about well well last week obviously there was a extreme negativity for a lot of the episode which uh is going to be a massive part of this show i imagine and it was mostly me complaining about my problems within the industry within certification and sometimes within the people who go to films uh, and that's only partially going to change this week i do have a few topics i want to talk about um which i've taken out of my phone because what happened last time i was listening back and there's some things that i wanted to talk about that i forgot uh, so I'm going to do it now. But one of them is... Let me see. Alright, I'll complain about... I'll do all my complaining first. And then I'm going to just uh, segue into some of the most positive fucking film news that I've heard in a long time. Like this is... For anyone who is an appreciator of film as a format. Uh, this is fucking huge news. But I'll get on to that in a few minutes. First, I want to complain. Which is my favourite thing in the world to do. And... I want to start by complaining about horror movie trailers. Now, this is something that for... Oh, I've been complaining about this <laughs> for about 10 years. And there's been a number of like channels on YouTube. Because like I said, I've been saying this for a while now. YouTube is effectively film school. I think film schools in the, in the learning side of things are almost obsolete. Because everything I've learned in film theory or I've learned through any like writing classes or whatever are they're all on youtube there's people out there who do this shit for fun in the same way i'm kind of just doing this for fun although this is not all that uh intellectual or uh, well you won't learn much from this you'll just want to see movies hopefully um but these channels they just do these extensive like 10 to 20 minute essays that are i feel like take a lot of work and they give you so much information all the bare bones stuff none of the nonsense and you just learn everything uh now obviously if you want to learn practical you're out, you're better off going to a film school because you can get more hands-on you figure out how to use a lot of shit um 
but the reason I bring it up is I've seen a lot of these channels over the years talking about horror movie trailers and just trailers in general and how shit they are. So there's not there's probably not a whole lot I can really add to it other than I agree with them. But when I was at the cinema the other day for one of the movies I'm going to talk about later on in this because I do have about six new movie reviews to do, which uh, is quite a lot. Although some of these I've seen I saw last year. Um, or maybe two of them last year. I have to check again. I keep unlocking my phone because it's not fucking registering as uh, at my house. But um, I was at... Well, I'll explain the movie later. The trailers that came on beforehand. There was one for the new Invisible Man movie. Which I really want to see anyway. So I had to keep my head down looking at my phone. Because I don't want to actually see a lot of the information. Uh, which is a problem with arriving to screens early. Which is the, the second thing I want to complain about. So it'll all tie in nicely. Um, but this the trailer for that film it it really sold me on it in the first like minute because I remember when it came out I was like oh fucking hell they're doing another universal monster movie kind of thing and I looked at it and I thought okay Leah Winnell is making it so that's an immediate huge sale for me uh, and I like Elizabeth Moss I think it's who it is I think it's Elizabeth Banks but she's a gay bag <laughs> it's, I think it's Elizabeth Moss I like her she's been excellent in everything I've seen and I, it reminds me I need to fucking see um, Handmaid's Tale for years now people are telling me it's brilliant and I actually remember when it came out I think it came out the same year The Handmaiden came out so when everyone's saying Handmaid's Tale I was like are they mixing up these fucking like projects here or what but apparently it's its own thing and it by all accounts is amazing uh, and apparently Anne Dowd is a real piece of shit now, which is kind of surprising because she's probably got the most friendly, lovely old woman head you've ever seen. Um, which, take that out of context, I'm just gonna, it's going to be an awful soundbite. Um, but I was looking at the trailer and I was thinking, because like, I saw that when it came out a few months ago, I had a look at it the first like 30 seconds and I thought, okay, yeah, this has me sold. This looks like a good idea. It looks like it's playing it quite seriously and quite dark. You have me on board. But I could just overhear some of the shit in the latter parts of the trailer. And I was just thinking, I'm pretty sure I'm hearing spo- like major spoilers for this fucking film. I can't understand. Like Now, trailers have always had this problem of fucking showing way too much. And I had to respect the uh, Disney and Marvel for, I think it was for Endgame. Anything that you saw in that trailer was within the first 15 minutes of the movie. And I think fucking every movie should do that. Now, obviously, there are slower movies out there, so you might not have a lot of... Uh, what would be the way to describe this now? I suppose, like, action. It doesn't even need to be an action film, but, like, just general audience action for people to get a flavour of the movie. You might not see that for the first 15 minutes of a movie, but I think they should then rely on atmosphere stuff. I'll give you an idea what the movie's about. But that, like, that completely sold the movie. It gave you a look at all the characters you want to see. You have an idea of... Okay, this is going to be the big showdown. And it doesn't fucking reveal anything. It, because it's a three hour movie. You still have fucking two hours and 45 minutes worth of completely unseen content. To fucking keep you on board. And I'd like a lot more movies to do that. But movies in general tend to show way too much. But horror movies, fucking hell. Like this trailer, just from what I overheard. I'm not even going to repeat it here. Because I don't want to. If you want to just know what I'm talking about. Go look at the trailer and annoy yourself. Actually, don't. No, don't look at the trailer at all. Because... I want this movie to do well. I'm a big fan of Leo Winnell, which is a small poem I just did there for you. And I'd, I don't want anyone to have that movie ruined for them. I'd like for them to just go in totally blind. What I will say is, though, is watch Upgrade, which is the last movie he did. It is fucking outstanding. I got was lucky to pick up the Second Side Special Edition there 
just before Christmas, I think. I think, yeah, I think I got it around the same time as uh, Robocop from Arrow. So, like, amazing box set. I do kind of wish I had a reversible sleeve, though. Um, this is just a nitpick I have with, with Blu-rays, that if I get something that has a slip cover... Now, I understand some studios will just put a slip cover on it just for the sake of being a first edition thing. It doesn't even need to be a special edition. And I like to have them. I think they're a nice addition to it. Um, but if I'm getting a special edition, a special edition is something, especially with a hard box cover on it, I'd like to have, like, reversible art on the inside i think it it makes it a bit more special that way um but that film was just it was done on five million dollars and it had better special effects than most top fucking sci-fi movies and action movies that had come out that year it was 2018 that came out and it looks better than fucking most of them and it utilizes the effects really well and it's full of practical stuff too and it's just a really unique action movie it's kind of it came out around the same time as venom and it stars um, Lo- Logan Marshall Green. I think that's how you say his name. Is that Mar- yeah, Logan Marshall Green. Uh, this chap blew me away in a movie or a TV series called Quarry, which was an eight-episode uh, Vietnam or post-Vietnam set movie. Um, no, everything I said there is wrong. It's a TV series that was done for Cinemax. Oh, okay. This is something I was actually going to save for an article at some stage, but I think I'll just talk about it now. Um, I'm going to have to Billy Connolly my way back to what I was fucking talking about a minute ago as well. But there's this series called Quarry. It was on a channel called Cinemax. Now, I did a small bit of research on Cinemax. And they were apparently big back in the 80s and 90s. And they had a thing called Skinemax where they would show like softcore erotic thrillers and shit like that. It's movies that are crap like. Um, but they were primarily known for action. And this show, Quarry, came out on that channel. Now, they have the other show called Banshee, and they had another show called... Or I think they still have this show. It's called Strike Back. And they're very action-heavy and a lot more fast-paced, thrilling kind of stuff. This show, Quarry, comes out, and it's a really slow burn. It's set in the early 70s, and it's about this Vietnam vet who he comes back after the war, but this is at the point where like they were vilified. When they came back, they were spit on. They were called baby killers, all that mad shit. And his whole life is kind of in turmoil now. He can't get a job anywhere. And him and his best friend, they're both kind of fucked. And they have families to look after. Uh, well, at least his friend does. He doesn't. But he comes back and he realizes he can't find work. So Peter Mullen, who is one of the fucking best actors out there. Who seems to be, when he's doing an American role now, he, he goes for Southern. I think he's figured out how to do a Southern drawl. And he just sticks at that because he doesn't want to try any other. Like I, I can't see him being able to pull off a New York accent or something like that. So... He appears in it. He's pretty much the same character he is in Ozark. Um, only this is, what, 40 years earlier? Um, or more than that. Jeez, that'd be 50 years ago now. Fucking hell. Um, but yeah, he um, he's known as the broker. And he is a, someone who hires hitmen. So he decides to hire Logan Marshall Green's character. Who's, I actually don't even remember his fucking name. Uh, I was only re-watching it recently. And I can't even think of his name. But they, they called him Quarry anyway. And they decide to hire him as a hitman and he'll get like decent money for every kill and like he has a certain amount he has to do and it's just i don't want to go into too much detail in it because it's really fucking brilliant it's a slow burn re it's amazingly well shot it's gritty it's really tense and i was kind of lumping it up there with true detective season one because it's a singular season it unfortunately didn't get picked up and that was what i wanted to do this article about um but he the series just has like some incredible technical stuff going on 
there's, there's at least four long takes in it that just blew my mind one of them is uh, the character's kind of going around the house on the phone it's really kind of intense again i won't say what's happening i'll just hopefully give you an idea um but there's a there's an episode that kind of shows you some of his vietnam life and there's a whole nine minute or is it more than nine minutes yeah i think it's a nine minute long take of just vietnam carnage and i was just edge of the seat blown away by it like i had no idea how they pulled off some of that stuff and it just reminded me of that incredible iron crusaders i think it's called the the drug busts or the drug raid thing in uh true detective the undercover thing is just that was one of the best things i've ever seen on tv i remember watching that scene probably about five times the day i first saw it and i've watched it so many times since on youtube if i ever get a bug to watch it i almost feel like watching it now um and it's just fucking incredible so crawley was a show that was up there like this and it has a oh i'm gonna look this guy up because i know for a fucking fact i'll not remember his name um he most recently why is my keyboard being a piece of shit um he was most recently in once upon a time in hollywood uh he actually played charles manson in it and funnily enough the same year he was in mindhunter playing charles manson he was playing the more crazy already really famous charles manson this was just like loser charles manson walking around although he is always a fucking loser um i'm trying to see his name now damien lewis i'm just looking at the, the once upon a time in hollywood uh fucking page here just to see if i can find it oh yeah uh damon herriman he's an australian guy uh he's one of the main characters in quarry as well and he's just fucking one of the most interesting and well-written characters in the whole series or that i've seen that year i remember quarry it was 2016 it came out it was like my favorite show that year that was the same year that game of thrones was out and um what was it called i think westworld started that year as well and that was both brilliant shows but that was the the one that really stuck at me um but what was my point uh yeah so logan marshall green is amazing in that oh no wait i have to finish the other point before i get back to the reason why i'm even fucking mentioning him um so yeah what happened was because cinemax wanted to focus primarily on action stuff and now this does have a bit of action in it but it's it's mostly a really serious crime drama really gritty edge of the seat stuff because they wanted to get away from that they decided all right we're going to actually cancel this after one series and we're going to just focus on doing more strike back and doing more action heavy stuff which i think is a revolting fucking thing to do because it was such a good show like and it's a show not enough people watched because it was kind of buried there now i found out when i was doing what i laughably call some research that hbo owns cinemax so in essence it was a hbo show that was kind of thrown on a different sister channel and forgotten about and what i was thinking was because on netflix that show the end of the fucking world which aired on channel four about four or five months beforehand no one watched it i never even heard of it and then it appeared on netflix annoyingly as about six or eight episodes and they're all about 19 to 20 minutes long it could have actually just been a long movie um because they all run into each other as well like it's would have worked better but that show had no fucking audience until it went to netflix and then it was colossal and then they had a second series and there could be a third one on the way who knows but it was a massive show because of netflix and because it got a, a second chance to be seen by people 
I think because anyone will watch HBO, doesn't matter what the fuck it is. If if HBO says we have a new series coming out next week, people would tune into it, no matter what it is. Now some shows might not last as long and might die off. Thankfully, The Outsider is getting great reviews because fuck me, that is honestly the best show I've watched in a long time, and I implore everybody watch it. Um, but I think HBO because they own fucking Cinemax anyway, so they technically own Quarry. And if I have the the Blu-ray of Quarry, which I had to fucking I could only get it on eBay. There was no shops over here selling it. Um, but on the side of it, it has the Cinemax logo, but it also has the HBO logo. So it's it's definitely owned by them. I don't know why they don't just put ads for uh, on HBO as if like a new series coming to HBO, Quarry, make a decent trailer for it, and then actually just air it weekly on HBO like it's a new show because it'll get an immediate audience and it'll be huge and what'll happen then is it'll get enough interest that you could still do a second season i mean it's not that long since it's come out all the actors are still alive which is always a plus and i think i'd love to see them just explore more of that world because it's just so fucking interesting i'm hbo i know you're listening fucking re-release quarry and make it a proper fucking tv show that everyone gets to see and not just throw it on some bullshit channel no one actually watches get quarry back out there get a new season of it because it's fucking superb now that i've completely gone off on that tangent although i've now saved myself writing a big fucking essay saying the same thing only way less eloquent um logan marshall green when i saw him now i saw him in prometheus first didn't do much for me at all i don't really like prometheus so i'm gonna say that for another day actually i'd like to talk about that on lazy dads because i know uh they kind of share my belief on it or at least one of them does so i'll see what they think um but didn't think much of that and then I saw McQuarrie and I thought this guy is fucking amazing but he looks exactly like Tom Hardy like to the point where I remember seeing a movie called The Invitation which I want to give another chance to because it, it at first it didn't do too much for me at all I had a really good ending and it had some elements but it just kind of bored the shit out of me and uh, people go oh it's a slow burn like, yeah I know it's a slow burn but it's it didn't interest me um I remember seeing him in that going, how'd they manage to get Tom Hardy for this fucking low-budget horror movie? I was like, oh, that's actually not him. Uh, so, everyone compares him to Tom Hardy. He looks like Tom Hardy. He acts not really like him, but he's, they're both fucking excellent actors. So the same year, almost back-to-back, Venom comes out, which is, he's taken over by this parasitic alien thing who can talk to him in his head and can take control of his body. And in Upgrade, he's... Uh, or like that's Tom Hardy's character in Venom but Logan Marshall Green's character in Upgrade is paralysed in a horrible accident from the neck down but gets a special chip implanted in the back of his head called, I think it's called Sim or Stem I have to try and remember the name of that um, but that also talks to him and can control his body and both characters end up doing some pretty horrendous shit so they're almost the exact same movie several hundred million dollars apart and one of them was absolutely phenomenal and original and looked great and the other one looked like a shitty cartoon the other one of course being venom so well there's proof you don't actually need a fucking huge budget to pull something amazing off um because i mean i think five million was the total budget for the thing as well so that's just that's even more fucking impressive um but again why am i talking about this oh yeah lee one uh he directed upgrade and then obviously now he's doing the invisible man so i would implore people avoid the trailer for it go on the fact that it's just him directing it and the fact elizabeth moss is in it 
and get a better experience because I feel like now I still feel like I'm going to have a savage time watching it because I, I just have full trust in him and they're kind of they're stepping away from the whole Tom Cruise mummy angle of it they're just like look we're going to do our own serious fucking thing here uh, oh that's funny I, I said Elizabeth Banks as well because I think she's doing a a remake of I just call it like the Invisible Woman or something like it's it's not canon to what's going on with this new Universal Monsters setup so uh, it's fun I made up then or mixed up the names but yeah, go, I, I fully trust this movie, but I, I feel like I'm still going to enjoy it, but I'm, I'm going to have bits and pieces, which I only half remember, so I'm trying to actually push them out of my head, uh, of stuff that I've heard from that trailer, because it's just it's going to hurt the movie, so they just need to stop, but th- the main reason I bring up the horror movie trailer is because I saw that trailer, and obviously it annoyed me, but the trailer that came after it was just embarrassing. Now, I remember last year the trailer for that curse of la Llorona, i think it was called the trailer for that was just embarrassing as well like the, most of these horror movies that are whether they're in the conjuring universe or in that same sort of mainstream supernatural horror universe that just seems to be huge now every single fucking beat you can see coming the trailer will just have something creepy that's not actually that creepy but it's, it's creepy for those who don't watch horror movies. Because those movies, in essence, are for people who don't watch horror. They would scare those people because they get scared by fucking anything. But people who are really into horror movies look at it and go, Oh, I've seen that 20 million times already. And it's not scary. And it's poorly done. And it's just a jump scare. Um, This trailer I'm talking about now is for The Boy 2. Uh, which is actually like my fucking name on several things like Steam and stuff like that. Or at least it was. Because um, being the youngest brother of seven boys was always called the boy. So that's why I have that. But this movie, I can't, it hasn't, I think it's called Brams, Brames, Brams, something like that. It has a really stupid fucking name. But the trailer is just, every single thing that happened in it, I was cringing. Just thinking, this is in no way scary. They're doing things that are, in the trailer that I guarantee won't be in the movie. There's one point where it's like... I think the trailer... Based on the trailer now... I watched this trailer because I couldn't give one stinking fuck about it. So I'm happy to watch a trailer for something I don't give a shit about. In this trailer... It's like a family moves in... Or they get a job looking after this old mansion. And this kid has had weird troubling visions. And he ends up finding the boy doll from the first movie buried there. And the, the doll starts manipulating him to do things. But the stuff that goes on in these trailers, and the movies actually, just the horror movies in general that are like that, the things that go on in them are not there to scare the characters. They're there to scare the audience. And that's the problem. It's easy to scare the audience by having something jump at you and startle you because you're not really getting scared, you're just kind of being woken up essentially. But I think it's far more scary when something is happening to the characters. Which again is why fucking Hereditary was so good. Because these characters are having the worst time. And you're empathising with them. And becoming scared with them. It's not just something happening to the camera. And scaring you. Like the things that are sound effects. Faces that jump up. They don't They don't affect the fucking characters in any way. They just scare you. And that's bad horror fucking writing. As far as I'm concerned. And it's just bad horror overall. Um, But this the boy trailer like there's a point in it where he's like the, the son starts being manipulated and behaving a lot like the doll and all this kind of shit and it's one of these situations that could be sorted within two minutes of going actually let's just throw this doll out and now we don't have to deal with it 
Um, although there's probably some reason in the movie why they can't do that. But the doll appears back, and then they're like, hey, did you bring that back? No, we didn't. And it's just a big scene where it's like, our son's lying to us. And I'm probably writing the whole movie out here accurately now. You know what they're fucking like. Um, but there's one point in it that I just remember cringing. And you see the boy, st- the main kid standing there with the doll. And in the trailer, they he obviously turns around slowly in the movie. But in the trailer, they just chop that out so he's immediately turned around. And it just flickers back and forth to him, facing away and facing towards him. And it's something that just is the goofiest looking fucking thing ever. That would only scare a complete idiot. And it definitely doesn't happen in the movie. It's just there for the trailer to try and make it look like it's constantly intense and strange. But there's nothing going on in it. And at one point he like the door creaks open slowly. Everything's in a fucking old house as well. The door creaks open slowly and you see his hand, the boy's hand, the actual kid's hand crawling in. And like as if that's scary. If in real life I'd just be like, What the fuck are you doing behind that door, you fucking idiot? <laughs> it just immediately stops being scary. And oh god, I I'm trying to remember do it from memory. I don't even want to watch the fucking trailer again because it's so fucking annoying. But everything that happened in it was just not only an example of bad horror like there's just stuff where characters are being scared by like oh i didn't see their kind of shit that happens in horrors all the time but also stuff that happens in the trailer that won't happen in the main film that is trying to scare the audience that are there now with the trailer and failing miserably and it's just they always go for this little quirky moment like in fairness now as much as i love hereditary the the clicking noise that the daughter does in it they use that as the kind it was almost part of the music in the trailer they always go for this one thing that'll stick in people's heads and go oh that looks really scary but it's like no you're you're badly selling this movie and it's something i just noticed even the movie that i'm going to talk about later which i'll just say now the grudge i saw the new grudge movie and uh i spoke about it last week in the whole f cinema score rating and i'll get not more into that but i'll just get into the the uh the film itself but that film, there's things that go on in that that are the same as these trailers where they have one little quirk that's supposed to scare you but in essence just... I've said in essence about fucking five times already. I don't know why it's my go-to word for today. Every week I just have a new word that kind of sticks in my head and I have to stop. But yeah, these trailers, they're awful. I'm repeating myself so I'm going to stop. But my point, hang on. I have to open my fucking little thing here. Uh, yes, the reason I was mentioning, uh, or the other segue I was going to go into when I was talking about trailers, is how fucking long they are, and how cinemas need to include that in their t- running times. Because I, last week, I saw a movie that's, it's not out here until the 21st, I think, uh, it's called Greed, it's the new Michael Winterbottom movie, and it has Steve, Steve Coogan and... Dave Mitchell and a whole host of recognisable faces. That was on at about 8 o'clock on like the Tuesday I think it was. And beforehand I wanted to go see The Gentleman. Which I thankfully did get to see a couple of days later. But I wanted to see that beforehand. And that didn't start until 10 to 6. Now The Gentleman is an hour 53 minutes. And I don't know how long Greed is. But that was going to start at 8. So I should have had well enough time. To go and see the gentleman and then casually walk in and see Greed afterwards. But because these movies have half an hour of fucking trailers. 
I, I just couldn't do it. Now, the problem with this is, right, now, I got to see an unlimited screening of Greed. And I've been to some before where you're there for over half an hour while they do an introduction and be like, oh, this is early advanced screening of this. We're giving you chocolate bars and there's fucking gifts underneath the seat and vouchers and all this kind of bollocks they do at the start. And then half an hour of fucking crap adverts and trailers, which completely make me want to not go to the cinema. There's been times where I remember I saw, now it was one of the worst films of that year. It was fucking abysmal called American Assassin with that fucking unbearable Taylor Kitsch in it. Uh, although Michael Keaton was in it and even then it couldn't save it. But that film, I remember coming in about four or five minutes after this scheduled time. So it would have been eight o'clock thinking, okay, there's going to be half an hour trailers with plenty of time to go get a drink whenever whatever else. I came in five minutes in and the movie's about two minutes started. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? There was no trailers at all. So they didn't even tell you. Um, now, obviously, some of you might think, well, it starts at eight o'clock. It should be there at eight o'clock. But this is my problem. I get there at eight o'clock to see a movie. If I want to see another movie that's at 10 o'clock and this movie is an hour 50, I should have 10 minutes to go see that other movie. But I don't because I have 30 minutes of trailers on top of that. So every movie I see, I have to account for the trailers that are going to be on. But what happened last week before Greed, I was thinking, right, if I see The Gentleman, I'll have a half hour of trailers that I have to deal with. And it'll be about 20 past day when I get out of seeing that. Now, because I had that problem with the last unlimited screening or one a few years ago, I was thinking, well, I can't bank on that. Because what if I go in at 20 past day and Greed has been on for 15 minutes? I've already missed the first 15 minutes of the movie. But also, what if I go in and there's still trailers on? You can never know. So I said, I'll skip the gentleman and I'll just see Greed. When I get to Greed, fucking 35 minutes of trailers and shite beforehand. I would have had time to see the gentleman beforehand and probably go for a piss and go get more fucking food and drink. And still be on time and still see some trailers. It's outrageous and it really fucks up how you're going to time seeing movies. Because again, if there's two movies on in a row that you want to see, you might miss the start of one of them because of all the trailers and all that shit of the last movie so i think cinemas should have the sc- the screen door opening time so it'll be like because I mean, they might open about five minutes beforehand but say something's going to be on at five o'clock it should say then five twenty-five movie starts so you know exactly because i would rather not see any trailers because i i know what's coming out i rarely sit in the cinema and go oh i haven't heard of this movie at all i always know the movies that are coming out so seeing the trailer just puts me off actually wanting to fucking see half these movies um and because they reveal everything so if i could know exactly when the trailers were going to be finished and i could just swoop in and fucking sit down and watch the movie and then leave and then also schedule the next movie so i'd be like okay well the trailers for this movie are going to end exactly at this time so i know i can get in and see that other movies i can i can work around this and in turn give them more money which they should be happy about although I use an unlimited card, so I'm not really, not really giving them money. And really, I mean, I'm buying the equivalent of two movie tickets a month and seeing several movies. But um, if I could just have that time and know I can go in and out of the movies, it'd be perfect. But no, they won't do that, and they'll probably say, "Oh well, we'll still have people coming in late." Then they'll be coming in during the movie, not just during the credits or during the trailers. And that's a fair point. You could maybe put in a sort of like theatre thing I was actually talking about this with my brother that most shows in a theatre like you go to a stand up comedy thing if you're not there by the time that they're starting on the show you're not going to get in uh, 
which would be fair but then again people do uh, they can be late to the cinema for various reasons you'd hate to fucking be going all the way into town and then realizing okay i'm a minute late i can't go into the movie now because of this so it's a it's an ugly situation but i still think regardless they should have the fucking length of the trailers that are going to be on beforehand and the actual film or and the film's time because it's such a fucking pain in the ass because you're not really you're not really setting aside 90 minutes to see a movie you're setting aside two hours and 10 minutes sometimes to see a movie and that can fuck up your whole schedule and <laughs> it just bothers me this is this is it sounds like such petty complaining but it's true and i'm gonna move on to the, the the last bit of complaining now so i can actually just focus forward on the shitload of reviews i have but also uh the positive the really really positive story that i have today which is really good so first i'm going to just talk about uh which i have written down here accurately cunts on film twitter especially about 1917 now twitter is a site that i or an app or whatever the fuck you can even call it these days twitter is something part of social media that i rarely use nowadays um i might scroll through it briefly i kind of only follow directors and a couple of friends on it before i used to just use it as a, a space to just put up fucked up jokes and all kinds of shite um which will probably come back and haunt me in 10 years time going you said this like, it's bollocks um but the whole purpose of it now is mostly just wait now this is going to sound very ironic because i've literally just been complaining for what's coming up to about half an hour or just over half an hour but people whinging about the most petty and annoying shit in movies and also becoming the biggest fucking snobs ever um I see it all the time. I see people complaining about film Twitter. Now I try to avoid it as much as I can. Because film Twitter is like. The Buzzfeed Guardian type fucking people. Who whinge about literally everything. And they apply it to movies. And come up with. Totally idiotic fucking ideas about things. Like the Joker's hair slicked back in such a way. That is offensive to a culture. And will in turn. Turn people into incels. And all kinds of shite. You, just, you see all this shite just spew out of fucking film Twitter. And one I saw recently, it just fucking rubbed me the wrong way. Because these are people who are supposed to be film fans. These are people who are supposed to fucking love the art form and everything about it. They're whinging that 1917 is going to inspire film students and colleges and whatever else to try do long takes. Because that film, I mentioned it there in I think my first week, or my first episode, sorry. um, How the whole thing is made to look like and a, a single take so it's it's i think it's over two hours like two hours ten minutes maybe and like birdman has plenty of hidden edits some more obvious than others uh but it flows like you're watching one gigantic really really intense war scene and it's fucking brilliantly done but people are now whinging that students are going to attempt to do this kind of stuff like it's a fucking bad thing it's like going oh this student is oh, he's doing a fucking uh, dutch tilt in his movie what a piece of shit everyone's going to be doing Dutch tests now because they saw it in Die Hard and it's just going to inspire this and that you should be fucking glad you should be happy that people are seeing this movie and inspired to do something interesting because I mean I've made fucking college movies I've seen college movies 99.9% of them are fucking shite and I include mine absolutely in there because it's a learning curve you're trying new stuff the stuff that you're kind of used to going, okay, we're going to plonk the camera here and here's the mid shot and whatever else. 
at the time looks fine because you don't really have an understanding of it but if when you compare it to a lot of other stuff it doesn't look great so if people are going to branch out and try something innovative and new and something that you wouldn't really expect to see in a college fucking student movie they should be supporting that 100% but now they're going on as if like long takes are a bad thing eye rolling and saying that the real magic of cinema is through editing yeah editing is deadly but long takes are absolutely awe-inspiring most of the time there's some now that might be a bit boring like Russian Ark which was this movie that came out in like the early 2000s which is a long take it's like 90 minutes moving through a big museum and conversations and art pieces and it's technically well done and all but it's not all that thrilling or interesting then you see something that like victoria which came out about four or five years ago which just blew my fucking head off it's uh i'm gonna briefly just talk about this because it's so fucking good and i actually want to watch it again i got the blu-ray there a couple of years ago um but it's about this spanish i think girl who goes to germany yes it's in berlin as far as i know and she's in a nightclub and meets these group of lads who now i uh i am actually gonna i won't even call it a spoiler but i just want to assure people that there's no rape in this movie because <laughs> i know a lot of people who like were saying oh i might have to turn this off and i'm thinking why it's fucking great and they're like oh, i feel like something really bad's gonna happen with her and these lads and it's like okay i never got that feeling from it and i can assure you now that that's not the kind of movie it is it's not this horrible fucking she meets the wrong group of lads and gets involved in this horrible situation well technically it is but it's, it's not that situation that you're thinking of it's basically she gets involved with these lads and ends up having to partake in a heist and it's fucking it's one of the most thrilling things i've ever seen it took place over two and a half hours uh from like four in the morning till half six legitimately like they did it all in one take completely real and had that been done traditionally it could have still been entertaining but it just wouldn't have had the same feeling even if it was done just real time even through editing it wouldn't be the same the fact it was done in one take was incredible and now you have these people who are saying that long takes are just kind of shite now and it's like oh like it's just they're they're such contrarian fucking assholes like it does my head in imagine a movie like for instance whiplash which has some of the best editing i've ever seen i think i think it got the oscar for it at least it should have or even a nomination actually i'm pretty sure i did get it but imagine seeing something like that and going oh editing is so fucking overrated where's the long takes why isn't everything just one big fucking continuous take and now this happens they're like oh where's the editing you just can't fucking please these people there's non-stop complaining from them about stuff that they should be absolutely praising 1917 is an incredible movie it's an amazing technical achievement and movies that have long takes always they always get my seal of approval i even just talked about fucking quarry and true detective there especially if they're used sparingly now i know that how the whole movie is done to look like that but if i've i've seen movies where the whole movie will just be a traditional well-edited movie and then you'll get this could even be one minute doesn't even need to be fucking 10 minute or even longer but you get these amazing long takes which just completely pull you in they're so much more interesting i remember like steve mcqueen the the new director steve mcqueen not the actor he always has amazing long takes in his movies like there's two of the most famous ones he ever had were in uh, hunger a movie he did about bobby sands and the hunger strikers and there's a conversation with michael fassbender and liam cunningham uh fassbender playing bobby sands liam cunningham playing a priest 
and they're sitting in a the, the kind of visitation centre of a prison and it's 17 minutes of the two of them in one shot talking to each other and then it cuts again and it's about four more minutes on top of that about and both of those scenes oh it's the one scene but both of those shots are just so good you're completely invested you don't even know the time going by and then there's a part actually in hunger as well where there's like just all the piss and shit that's being cleared off of the the hallways leading into the cells and there's a guy who's just chucking big buckets of water on the ground and sweeping it in underneath the doors and it goes on for about five minutes and it's riveting it shouldn't be it shouldn't be at all interesting but it is and then you, you see the the sweeping scene in uh twin peaks the return as well something really simple and slow and should bore the living fuck out of you but you're just captivated by it and then again in shame which is the other movie that i actually mentioned this last week as well in in terms of wanking but michael fassbender's character goes for a jog in that and it's about 90 seconds two minutes of him just running down the streets of new york long take and it's just i remember seeing that in the cinema going that's fucking incredible so these people that are trying to like downplay the significance of long takes and how good they are and discourage fucking people being inspired by these and trying to make their own are cunts if i see long takes appearing in student films and they're really well done i'll be more than happy even if they're not well done they're trying something they're not just doing the typical generic back and forth dialogue scenes with nothing interesting happening if they're trying something new they should be happy about this because that's how people get fucking inspired to make movies they don't get inspired by listening to fucking cunts on twitter whinge at them saying oh you're doing that oh you're you have to get my approval fuck your approval fuck film twitter and anyone who fucking contributes to it you're all cunts now something positive i've actually got fucking this splats on my phone here from just how venomously i've been spitting while talking here oh all right let's move on okay so the positive thing that i've been leaning or edging towards for the last 40 nearly 45 minutes uh god that's a lot of venom it's good to get out of the way now that's why i can actually talk about movies although i will be giving a terrible review soon so uh, there will be more venom for that but a, a lot of positive reviews to come the five five of the six major studios is how they're putting it across here but uh five of the six major studios have decided to put in an undisclosed but large amount of money to buy huge quantities of kodak film this is a fucking monumental thing for cinema as we know it now because i mean i've i almost every review i do almost every time i'm talking to someone or trying to influence someone to watch a movie i mention whether it's shot digitally or on film because things that are shot on film to me always 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 look better and there's a different atmosphere and a, a, a feeling that goes along with them that digital can't capture it now i've also been a big defender of digital too because there's some amazing digital work out there and especially when you look at the likes of uh like i said blade runner 2049 or like what well, i think i can't i think 1917 was shot digitally as well as far as i remember i will actually check that now just to be 100 percent sure because i know roger deakins has always been good at working uh sorry i'm facing away from the microphone here to try fucking type this in there we go um roger deakins has always been pretty good at working with both digital and film so 
I, it would, I, I'm pretty sure that he would have actually used digital for this too. Because Roger Deakins is the fucking best. He's just the best. Although Robert Richardson uh, has proven that he's absolutely mind-blowing as well. Just every time he's worked with Tarantino, it's been great. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is jaw-dropping how good it looks. Um, so let me see here. Yeah, so the, uh, 1970 was shot digitally. And that looks superb. So there's plenty out there that look fucking amazing. But the fact that for years now, and I suppose, I mean, this has happened with every format nearly. Things get pushed out briefly. I can't see certain formats ever making a resurgence. So if you look at, in terms of physical media and entertainment, like entertainment stuff, which actually I should talk about. I'll briefly just say this. I, I got a bunch of fucking movies lately. And I have a big package coming tomorrow. With a shitload more movies. Uh, I've been in a sort of treat yourself uh, mentality. Since the start of the new year. And I'm going to continue that for as long as I can. And but of course I'm referencing Parks and Rec there. I don't actually talk like that. But uh, I got. I managed to go into deals. Which now. <laughs> this just sounds so fucking cheap. But uh like I remember they upped the price from one fifty to three quid for Blu-rays and was shocked by it, but then I realized it's still three quid. Three quid is fucking nothing. And there's a lot of really good shit in there. Um I mean like it I got better copies of stuff because I remember I bought a copy of Killing Them Softly and which is so good as well. That's one of my favourites of the decade. So there's a quick hint as to what's to come. But I remember getting a Blu-ray of that and it had like it was a second hand, it had a coffee stain on it, and I was like, ah oh, for fuck's sake. Then I go in and see it brand new in deals and same with hobo with the shotgun and fucking headhunters and just fucking loads of stuff they just they have really good stuff in there but recently i was in there and i saw a copy of the gray the liam neeson thriller really dark drama movie that is always poorly sold as oh liam neeson fist fights wolves which like that sounds like a fucking schlocky load of fun which i would love to see but when it's advertised like that, people go in and see this, and it's a really just dark, somber, bleak, miserable fucking movie. So they're sitting there going, oh, that's a pile of shite, that wasn't what I was expecting at all. But if you go in expecting a really tense, bleak, miserable movie, you get a fucking wonderful film, which I'd fully recommend to people, knowing what to go in and see. I got Source Code, which was David... Wait, no, his name's not David, is it? Duncan Jones. It's David Bowie's son. Uh, or I think Zoe Bowie was his actual name. Maybe I'm mixing that up. I'm not sure. But I know there was there is a Zoe Bowie in existence, I'm pretty sure. Um, But he decided to branch off and become a film director. He made Moon, which is one of the best sci-fi films of the last fucking 20 years at least. Uh, and then he did Source Code. Now, he, he moved on and did Warcraft, which apparently... In its own right, it's actually not bad, but Warcraft fans hate it, which means nothing to me. And he did Mute, which was a complete and utter fucking disaster, which uh, I'll, I'll talk about another time because I, I don't want to give myself a headache now. Um, but he did Source Code back after Moon, and Source Code was just a really, really solid, mind-bendy, kind of time-travel sci-fi thriller with Jake Gyllenhaal, or Yilin Hooley, which is actually how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, but you'll never have a career if your name is Jake Yillen Hooley. So Jake Gyllenhaal gets you a career. But he, it's this weird time travel action. I I don't really want to say much about it because it it works quite well on its own. 
and I think saying stuff about it might spoil certain things about it. I, I think it's just really well done, really entertaining. It's not a masterpiece now, but it's really, really solid, good sci-fi. Uh, and obviously, that and The Great, three quid each. And I also got Clint Eastwood's Changeling, which I haven't seen yet, so it'll be nice to see that uh, on Blu-ray. And I got Lucky. This has actually gone back a few weeks ago now, but I meant to mention it on the first episode, and I didn't. But uh, I'm very pro-charity shop, because you find some fucking amazing stuff in there for nothing. And for one euro, I got uh, a John Wayne movie, which the main selling point was the fact that Bruce Dern was the villain in it. Uh, from 71 or 73, around that time anyway. But it's called The Cowboys. Apparently it's fucking fantastic, so I'm sold on that. It was actually an American Blu-ray, but thankfully the Warner Brothers Blu-rays in America are all multi-region. The way they all should be. Uh, but I'm not going to go down that road again. I already complained more than enough, or more than long enough about that last week. Um, but it was quite interesting about two days later uh, information comes out online that what's his face uh, Tommy Lee Jones is going to be starring in a remake of it So, and I think he's directing it as well hopefully because he's a good director so yeah it's just really strange that two days after I happened to find this in a charity shop not even officially released over here it's just an American Blu-ray that a remake is announced so there's a there's no I'm not going to call it fate that's stupid um but what the fuck was my point? Uh, oh yeah, no, I kind of branched off there to just talk about the shit I bought. Uh, and I, I'll talk next week about all the stuff I'm getting this week because there's some fucking really good stuff coming. Uh, I think I've got eight or six Blu-rays coming to me and then likely plenty many more because uh, it's a crippling addiction. Although uh, I'd rather have this addiction than to, I don't know, heroin or something. So this is a lot more positive and more social and doesn't involve me pissing and shitting myself. So, uh when it comes to this physical media stuff when i was talking about earlier is stuff like maybe tapes or eight track and stuff like that like that'll die out whereas cd and vinyl still is thriving even though they said vinyl's going to die out once tape came in and they said cd's going to die out once digital came in people still buy cds bands are still constantly selling cds especially like metal bands and like a lot of rappers are even you know, there's a lot of the SoundCloud rap and all that shite that I don't like but there's still rappers who are releasing demo CDs and clubs and things like that so CDs are still important vinyl has had probably the biggest resurgence ever like everyone thought they were gone and you could probably buy most vinyl for like two quid in a shop like I oh, yeah, no one's gonna buy that shit now you're paying fucking 30 to 40 quid for vinyls in shops now they're so popular if you go into golden discs most of the racks in there are vinyls more so than the cds and dvds and everything else which is annoying because i want the blu-ray section there is fucking tiny it's about as wide as my fucking tv is i'd rather a nice big wall of stuff like hmv used to have and that they still have over in the uk that i don't get a fucking experience but um what on earth was i about to say yeah so these things that die out some of them come back and i'm glad they do not all of them will i don't think tapes will ever make a comeback because just the sound isn't as good and they're not really as convenient and whatever else but the same thing happens well and with movies as well like vhs still has its place but the likes of laserdisc is never going to make a comeback um <clears throat> even like for like blu-rays are the the peak really like 4k blu-ray it can upgrade some stuff it some stuff looks a lot better some stuff kind of looks the same it's not really worth making the jump a lot of the time i mean i, I i'm planning on getting a player soon just so i have the option uh but I think Blu-ray is the peak now. And 
once the likes of Netflix and Prime and all these kind of competing streaming platforms came in, everyone said that Blu-ray and DVD were going to die out. I know people who still fucking buy DVDs and it's stressful because I know they have a Blu-ray player and it hurts. But <laughs> Blu-ray and DVD are still thriving. Blu-ray in particular. The fucking droves of independent labels that are releasing stuff. All the likes of Arrow Video and 101 Films, the fucking premium collection of HMV, Third Window Films, fucking Studio Canal doing great stuff, Eureka, 88 Films. All these fucking groups are releasing top quality, pure collector's items. And they're still th- they're thriving because of that. But even the regular Blu-rays are still thriving. They might be going cheap on Amazon and whatever else, but they're still it's still big. Everyone thought they'd die out with streaming, but when they realised that their favourite movie on Netflix can disappear a day later, I think people weren't too happy with that. You had people all these fucking oh god, this is another thing I'm gonna fucking complain about. Um, labels on the fucking Blu-rays. You see, sometimes they have a blue banner at the top of the Blu-ray symbol, which is already obnoxious enough. But they have that plus they say, oh, it includes the DVD, it includes a bonus digital thing, and it takes up half the artwork. And I mean, I know at this stage it's probably going to include a digital or a DVD. I don't need that in a big banner. It's not going to be the selling point for me. But a lot of these like ultraviolet and digital codes and things like that, they run out. And people who had whole libraries worth of stuff on their computer are gone now because they relied on them rather than the physical media. And I think even though like people come what they can torrent and do whatever the fuck they want, physical media will always be the best, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, people thought Blu-ray would die out with streaming, and it didn't. And the same way they thought that Kodak film and film in movies would die out. Because the majority of stuff done now is done digitally, but you see stuff coming out that still uses 35mm and 70mm, even 16mm. Um... One of the films I'm going to talk about in a few minutes was actually shot on, I think, 16mm with, like, genuine 100-year-old lenses and stuff like that. Which is kind of like what Assassination of Jesse James by the Carol Robert Ford did, which is one of the best films ever. And, of course, the cinematography, Roger Deakins. Um, But, yeah, this uh, whole idea that digital was going to take over was such a big thing for a while. And there was all this question, will films stay around? I mean, you still have the people supporting it. You have Tarantino, you have uh, Christopher Nolan. And there's another big one who's just going to completely leave my head now that I've fucking started talking about it. I suppose Scorsese to a degree. I mean, he's utilised both. Um, But you have these directors out there who are, they demand that they shoot on film at all times. And I love them for it. But there was always this worry that is film still going to be around but now because these five studios let me see which ones they are now so you had Disney NBC Universal Paramount Sony and Warner Brothers is that four? Oh, that's five yeah so those five have bought as they say in Bracketeer undisclosed amounts of motion picture film from Kodak moving forward which is just I mean if that if that means that huge amount of movies are going to be shot on film now I am fucking all for it like if that if that's where blockbuster cinema is gonna go now, like that'd be just fucking amazing too. Like it's, if it goes back in that direction, where digital is more a stepping stone, or digital will be used uh, almost as a niche thing, that'd be just the best. Like I love seeing stuff shot on film, especially. I'd really be happy if more cinemas over here decided to bring back in the uh, the proper projection reels for it because. Um, there's two cinemas in this country. Well, I don't know about 
the whole country because I know down the, the palace down in Galway which is the their version of the lighthouse the same owners but the lighthouse and the IFI are the only cinemas here that I can think of offhand that still project on film as well as digital and the IFI is the only one that has the lenses to project 70mm which I think fucking every single cinema in this country should still have the option to show up to 70mm if they want it the majority of stuff will probably be on DCP and be shown digitally, but if they could show stuff on 70mm or 35mm or just have the option to do it, it would just be the fucking best. And I like to think that with this amazing fucking like leg up here for Kodak film, that it'll become the norm. And again, like I'm not shitting on digital, I like a lot of digital stuff, but if, if it could be the norm again, that stuff shot on film, it would be fucking magical. So... That's uh, that was my positive cherry on top of the otherwise fucking shouty and angry uh, ranting that I did beforehand. But at least it was a little more focused in the ranting. Um, I've already hit an hour. I was kind of hoping to fucking try to do all this within the hour. But uh, I'll get through these reviews relatively quickly. So I'm going to start with... Uh, let me see. Actually, I'm going to start with one that's only come on blu-ray recently but it's been available to watch online for a few months now and it's one that i watched last year uh really low budget independent horror comedy called harpoon now this got picked up by arrow video and they did a really interesting thing where because they're known for commissioning artwork and a lot of the time having really lovely artwork on the front but on the reverse you have the original poster uh which is my favorite thing about them i love some of the original artwork there is times I wish they'd pick different ones though. Like the American Werewolf in London Blu-ray that I got. The drawn artwork for it, which I think Graham Humphreys did, is fucking fantastic. But the reverse of it is the original American poster. Now, that's fine. I People are happy with that. But I grew up with the original poster on the video and the DVD and then the other Blu-ray that I got, the first Blu-ray, before it was remastered. And that's of a close-up of the wolf's face screaming. It's just the coolest fucking poster i've always loved it i was really hoping that would be on the reverse and it wasn't um so you can't win them all i guess but with arrow in general they tend to have good reverse artwork for the original posters what they did for harpoon was they had the the artwork that was obviously done by the filmmakers or whoever's involved but they said we're going to make this a competition so you submit your fan artwork for the movie and the winner will get to be on the reverse side the one they picked i actually quite like but there was some really interesting good ones there there's a lot of uh what's the word minimalist ones i kind of get sick of minimalist posters after a while because they just they, they try to be too minimal <laughs> like i know that's their point but i mean sometimes i'd rather just a good fucking poster and i notice a lot of posters now tend to just have a big stack of all the actors on it in a big collage almost and it like they are nice posters especially if they're hand drawn but i kind of i've seen enough of them i want just really unique interesting like I, I'd love more posters to be something as unique as Man Bites Dog, which is this really, really, really dark French comedy uh, about a serial killer. And uh, the poster for that is him with a pistol, like firing down to the where the corner of the box, let's say, would be. And there's two versions. There was one that's a big splat of blood and uh, a pair of false teeth flying out. So obviously he's shooting a, an elderly person. And the other one is a baby's dummy flying out, which the poster caused huge controversy. Don't worry, he doesn't shoot a baby in the movie. But uh, 
he does do some pretty bad stuff <laughs> throughout which I don't want to ruin but I'd love to see a poster as unique as that kind of appear now like a lot of them tend to just be here's the actors who are in it here's a collage of a lot of the scenes and yeah again nice posters but I, I want something interesting anyway uh, Harpoon is a, a strange one because there's only three people in the whole movie uh, well four if you include the narration by Brett Gelman who I really don't like he just fucking rubs me the wrong way and uh, it's unfortunate that he's a, an interesting character in Stranger Things because I fucking hate his face but the three people in it are Monroe Chalmers who the only other thing I've seen him in is Turbo Kid which is was started off as a a small short film for I think it was for the ABC's of Death which is this horror anthology where they had 24 or how many letters in the alphabet forever fucking many letters <laughs> 24 or 26 I can't remember um, this is going to be some risk too, but I don't give a box. A to Z of short films, and each letter was directed by a different director or duo of directors or whatever else. And they were they had a certain letters that were for submission. So I think for the first movie it was the letter T, and what they did was instead of commissioning all those other directors to direct it, they would put a competition out, and people could submit their own short, and the best one would get to be part of the movie. Um. And one of them was Turbo Kid, or T is for Turbo, and it was this really fun French Canadian, ultra gory, um, sort of Mad Max style action scene. And obviously that gained such popularity that they ended up turning it into a real movie. I mean, the same thing happened with uh, when Grindhouse came out. They had like the fake trailers done by Edgar Wright and Rob Zombie and things like that. But one of them was directed by i can't remember the fucking person who made it now but the people who made oh no no i'm not gonna remember his name i think it begins to j it's in my head anyway but the guy who directed hubble with the shotgun they just did their own little short exploitation film for it and that ended up serving as the trailer it ended up not getting picked but people loved it it became really popular online so i said okay let's make a full movie kind of like what they did with machete as well so turbo kid ended up becoming a full movie with this guy in it and that's the only thing i've actually seen him in but he's really good in that, and in this, he's particularly good. The other characters are Emily Tyra and Christopher Gray. And the general plot of the movie is two best friends and one of their friends' wife, or it could just be his girlfriend, I can't remember, but there's a sort of love triangle going on with them, but they end up stranded on a yacht out in the middle of the sea, and tensions get much higher and potential violence ensues that's that's all i want to say about it because i actually would rather not spoil this movie in any way like i know you want you i like to give a bit of detail about the film because you can't just say it's really good here's three actors but a film like this there's there's so many twists and turns that you you don't want to know too much going in but what surprised me most is like it's like it's pretty violent it's kind of gritty and whatever else it's like it's an example of a very basic movie in terms of uh digital shooting like the, the how it looks isn't really the important part but uh jesus two dogs kicking the fuck out of each other outside at least they're not my ones um that's <laughs> a bleak segue there but uh what was my point oh yeah it's, it's a grand looking film and everything else but the thing that surprised me most was how fucking funny it was that it had several laugh out loud laugh out loud moments which I mean, it's hard enough in a regular comedy, but a fucking horror comedy is even harder because they tend to rely on absolute shite to do it. But this was just really sharp and well-written. It's directed by Rob Grant. Uh, I don't think he's actually done anything else that I heard of, but uh, 
I was just a total surprise for me now. I'd, I'd seen it floating around, decided to give it a go, and I'm glad I did because it's really, 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 really funny and it's unique and interesting. And I think it'll become well, sleeper hit might not be the word. Uh, it'll it'll obtain a cult following for sure, and I would thoroughly recommend it. So that'd be that'd be high up there. And that's just come out on Blu-ray uh, from well today in the UK I think, but we got it on Friday. I'm pretty sure. I know it's out on Blu-ray now. Anyway. I've seen people post it, but then again, Arrow do send stuff early. But it it gets my full recommendation anyway. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I suppose I'll move on to something that involves the sea in a <laughs> in a roundabout way, and that's the lighthouse. Now this came out Friday. See, my my plan was with the lighthouse and with the beautiful day in the neighborhood. I got to see both of them back in November and January, or sorry, and uh, December. So, I was hoping to have this podcast released on Friday so people were freshly seeing it in the cinema or potentially seeing it that night and still having a review available, but obviously that didn't happen. So, here is my couple of days late, but technically a couple of months late, review of The Lighthouse. Holy fuck. And that was The Lighthouse. Uh, it's in cinemas now. But, no, I think I'll go into a bit more detail on that because... But then again, this is another thing I don't really want to go into detail for. It's hard. It's hard. This is sounds so stupid as a fucking podcast about movies, but it's hard to talk about movies because I never want to ruin the experience. I always want to get people wet their appetite a bit, say something about it that doesn't really ruin anything, but gives an idea of, oh, this is going to be tense or this is going to be fun, and lure them in that way. But it's hard to do when every moment in this is so surprising and interesting that you don't want to spoil it. Again, there's only two people in the whole movie. Well, alright, there's two lead characters in the whole movie. There's there's glimpses of other people that aren't too important to... Well, maybe that's not even the right thing to say, but... Okay, there's two <laughs> lead characters in this movie, and that's uh, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And they both have... Well, Robert Pattinson has this Boston-y... Well, not even Boston. When you think of Boston, you think of proper, like, Southy fucking mobster kind of voices but this is just old fashioned because it's set in the 1890s and uh, he just has this old timey kind of Boston voice and he's new to a lighthouse to meet the the other lighthouse keeper who lives there which is Willem Dafoe who has a proper fucking high seas pirate voice name. <laughs> like he's got a really great voice in it and he's just so good in it and a legitimate big fucking bushy beard so he basically meets them on this New li- or on this lighthouse he's going to be the new keeper down there he's going to do some of the jobs and he's going to be there for a few months and that's the basic idea of it but their perception of time and reality and what's going on and their sanity begins to slip everything starts to go in a bad way and that that's generally as much as I, I want to give away with it because it's just there's so much going on in this movie uh, it's shot on 16mm in black and white and it had really old lenses at the time so it has a genuine like like you could nearly guess it was shot back then if it wasn't so because like, obviously film would be a lot less stable back then but the, the look of it the lenses of it are amazing and everything was done in camera all the intense crashing of waves hitting up beside them where they're they're shooting it is all real it's a surreal one because I know that I've this was a peg to be the choice for the surprise film at Horathon uh, last year and it's unfortunate it wasn't because I, th- I think the film that was surprised when it was fucking terrible 
the last five years or so of Harathon, every film has been a fucking great surprise movie. So it's unfortunate it wasn't this, but see, there's a lot going on in this. It would go under the sto- the category of a drama film. It's definitely a fantasy film. It's really, really broodingly tense thriller. It's also a horror, but it's also kind of funny and there's just so much fucking going on in it. it it's it probably didn't fit the bill of it's a direct horror but it actually was more intense than a lot of films that show at most festivals so it's a shame that this didn't get to show at the festival because i think this would have gone down great especially because the witch got to show a few years before uh it's the same director robert eggers and the witch was one that i i want to give another go because as it was a festival it's kind of a piss up at the same time for for me and a lot of people there so before that there was a lot of fun kind of energetic sort of horror movies and stuff on and then it went into the witch which is really really tense slow burn but we already had a few drinks at this stage so it kind of we weren't <laughs> at least i wasn't prepared for it. a lot of people loved it i thought it was really good but it just kind of it didn't grab me in some way but i did couldn't stop thinking about it for weeks afterwards so obviously it it left an impression but my first experience of it is i didn't love it so i do want to give it another go but my first experience of this and the many more it's going to have because I, I do plan on seeing it again in the cinema and i want it i'm certainly buying the blu-ray this is a, just a fucking masterpiece as far as i'm concerned everything about it the acting the fucking the music is so intense that's probably the best horror score i've heard this fucking decade nearly it's amazing cinematography is mind-blowing that's up for uh, an oscar as well seriously overlooked fucking oscar for willem dafoe he should have been at least up for supporting actor uh but i mean his is a tough year there's a lot of really good shit out there and i've already said like last week about uncut gems how adam sandler should have been up there instead of fucking jonathan price now it's unfair of me to say that at the same time because i haven't watched the two popes but it's also very difficult to get me interested in watching the two popes but i think jonathan price doing a accurate impression of the pope probably isn't as gripping as adam sandler's turn as howie the fucking jeweler because i already went on last week about how intense it was but i actually watched it again there friday oh by the way that's now available on netflix from friday the 31st last month so if you haven't watched it yet if you've heard my recommendation and aren't aware it's available get on it immediately because it's perfect and it's just as tense the second time maybe slightly less because i know exactly what's happening but that last half an hour still fucking has your palms sweating i'm telling you so yeah the lighthouse one of the best films i've watched last year and it i'm including it in my best of the decade even though it hasn't had an official release until or it didn't have an official release until the other day over here i mean it did have a technical screening last year so fuck it that counts but absolutely one of the best films i saw last year one of the best of the decade one of the best in cinemas available to watch now i couldn't recommend it higher so definitely check out the lighthouse uh I probably left out a lot of information here, but the, the the less you know about it going in, the better. Um, I think <laughs> the next film I'm going to talk about actually is another film that would be better viewed if you didn't know a lot about it. But I, I'm going to give a brief idea of it because everything that you find out about this movie is within the first 10-15 minutes. So the next one is one that's screening tonight uh, in the Lighthouse and in the IFI with a, a Q&A. And it comes out on Friday. Friday might be a better day to release it, but I, I released this review. But I'm actually gonna hopefully have my hundred of the decade then, so I'll give it another brief mention. Although actually, I'm not even gonna fucking, I'm not gonna 
box myself in by saying that I'm going to have it by Friday. I'm just going to have it soon. So because the last thing I, I don't want pressure doing this podcast. That's the last thing I want. This is to be fun. I want to enjoy what I'm doing here. Um, I must actually because I know I, I have my eyes closed now, just looking straight ahead. If this hasn't been recording for the last fucking however long I've been talking, because that nearly happened before. Okay, it has been recording. We're all good. Right. So the next thing I want to talk about is lapping up awards for the last while i mean the the baftas were on last night i didn't watch them i just saw it was the same typical loving the smell of their own farts fucking shite uh although as far as i heard revel wilson stole the whole show so i, I must actually look at her because i think she introduced best director or something like that so i'll be interested interested to see what she does but this obviously picked up awards last night. It picked up awards at the Globes, and it's it's just been a sensation. And I'm delighted it has because this guy has been overlooked outside of Korea. I think for basically his whole career because he's done some of the most amazing movies I've ever fucking seen from there. Uh, but his newest movie is Parasite, and that's they're they're doing a and A Q&A screening of that tonight in the IFI and in the Lighthouse. Now I think it's a satellite Q and A. If he was actually there, I fucking trust me i'd be there now waiting for him um but this is another one that kind of has a few things going on like korea are so fucking good at mixing genres because i remember one that i watched that one of my favorite fucking korean movies that came out about three years ago it should be on netflix as well i think it was direct to netflix over here which is unfortunate because there's only a dvd there's no blu-ray and that does my fucking head in there's a lot of movies that do that the fucking hyena did that which is a great fucking cop thriller really bleak amazing that's only available on dvd over here so blu-ray in several other countries and i can't fucking play the american one yet and the, the lovely french edition that's out there doesn't have subtitles for the albanian language so it's all it's a fucking mess and another stephen graham thing as well that is and this next thing is also stephen graham the virtues the amazing shane meadows series that was on last year which was so good i sat in the dark for about half an hour after just processing the whole fucking thing it was that good and also that harrowing. Um, but that's only available on DVD too. And it's a crime. Uh, but the movie I'm talking about is The Wailing. Which I think I might have mentioned. But The Wailing uh, was on Netflix. And that movie just balances. It's really just brooding, creepy, tense horror movie. But with these bursts of comedy. That just have you pissing yourself laughing. They're really surprising. And I might have mentioned this before. But it was Takeshi Kitano who said something that. Or no, I actually reshared it on Facebook. That's what it was. But he said something about how laughter and violence should always surprise you, and I th- I couldn't agree more. Because his movies, you'd be watching it, and suddenly you're you're totally taken aback by someone getting their fucking teeth torn out in the dentist office <laughs> with a drill, which is a scene that happened in that or one of his movies. Um, but then the next scene, something really funny will happen, and it's really unexpected. Uh, actually, going back to the lighthouse, there, there's a lot of farting in that movie. Uh, and I remember I heard the first one I was like did I hear that right and then it happens throughout and it's like it's I kind of like that uh, the movie's not above that it's like look people do it it's weird he's a scally fisherman of course he's gonna fart so <laughs> it, it actually serves purpose to the story but with a Takeshi Kitano's movies that happens a lot and with a lot of Korean movies I see all these Korean thrillers that are gut-wrenchingly tense like The Chaser as well which I think is the same director as uh, The Wailing both of those movies will just catch you off guard with comedy. And Parasite does the same. Parasite's not a horror movie though. I will say that up front. Uh, it's definitely a thriller. 
but it's more in a kind of kind of dark comedy side so there's, there's times in it where you're you're really laughing at it like it's really funny and there's times you're like you're holding your breath because it's so tense uh toe curling tension was how i think i described it at first because i remember just watching it just dizzy but the plot of the film is is a family of four uh a mother father son daughter and they're all unemployed and they're all they're living underneath this apartment block like they're pretty much living in the basement of this place it floods all the time when there's like bug spray being sprayed around the the neighborhood they leave their windows open so they get free bug spray in their house because it's fucking riddled and they just they just they know all these schemes they know all these tricks of obtaining money and basically keeping themselves alive uh the son now actually i, I haven't even said the names because i'll know i'll fucking butcher them all but uh kang ho sung is the one everyone would recognize he's in a lot of uh boom jong ho's or Juno Bong. I, I can't remember how you do it. Ho. Because Korean names. There's so many ways to actually write them. But. He's he's appeared in a few of his movies. And he's brilliant in all of them. He's appeared in some of Park Chan-wook's movies as well. Uh, that's the easiest one to say. Because that's like the first one I've ever learned. But. The son anyway befriends this. He, he's friends with this rich guy from school. Who. Tells him that. There's this rich family. Who. They need an English tutor. For the daughter. And they say, look, you know English pretty well. Why don't you go teach her and you can get yourself a few quiz? And he's like, oh, that's not a bad idea. I can pretend that I have all this scholarship from colleges all over the world and whatever else. So he goes to this house while, and while there he discovers that there's a few people who work for this family who have jobs that could be done by his family. So they come up with ways that they can replace them in their jobs and live the high life in that house and that's all i'm going to say because again all of this you, you'll figure out in the first 20 minutes of what they're planning to do i i don't want to say anything else there's so much going on in this movie that you'll never expect and it's constantly keeps you on edge because again even really good thrillers or really good comedies whatever if it's stuff you've kind of seen before or it's not really going certain places or it's leading to a one of two kind of climax where in one movie this character would die at the end but in this movie you're watching it going oh maybe it's going to be the other guy they're going to pull the rug from underneath you and it goes oh it was the other guy and again it's it's still different to what you're usually seeing but it's also it's only one of two outcomes this is a kind of movie where the rug is pulled underneath you so much that you're like okay i have no anything can happen in this movie literally anything you could never in a million years predict where this movie's going to go and it's just so well done, and everything is really subtly plotted. Like I, I've rewatched uh, Green Room last night, one of my favorite films of the decade as well. It's a fucking amazing thriller. But throughout that, uh, I'm not even going to describe it now because I am going to talk about it in a couple of days. But throughout that, there's little things that are set up that are just seem totally insignificant, but play such a huge part. Like I love that kind of foreshadowing in movies that isn't really on the nose. It's really subtly done in this, and it's just so good. And it, again, with Korean movies as well, and particularly Korean fucking adverts and adverts from Thailand and all this kind of stuff, like they'd have an ad for a fucking a bank that's a four minute heart wrenching fucking drama movie. And what they do is with this movie in particular, there's as I said, thrills. There's a lot of comedy. There's drama. There's really dark elements, but then there's like really heartwarming, lovely stuff in it. And it's just a totally unique movie. It's just something that 
I think there, there was a plan to, or they want to remake it. I hope that he says fuck off to them. But there is plans for a series which will focus on other people, has nothing to do with these characters, which Boon Jong Ho wants to take part in as well. I mean, his involvement would have me on board, but I'd, I'd rather they left it alone. I'd rather this was just a standalone thing. But it's totally unique and just there's nothing like it out there. And I, I hope no one tries to remake it because they'll make a fucking balls of it. Um, so yeah, that's that gets my highest recommendation as well. Uh, if you're seeing it, well, it's not what me saying if you're seeing it tonight, by the time I actually release this fucking episode, it'll be probably on or over. Um, if you saw it tonight, let me know what you thought of it. And uh, if you're planning on seeing it, it's out on the 7th of February. It'll be in the likes of the Lighthouse. I think Cineworld are actually showing it as well tonight and from Friday too, which I'm happy about because they're, they're a mainstream cinema that actually put a bit of work into obtaining some foreign stuff. They show a lot of Polish stuff and a lot of Hindi stuff. Um but they get a lot of other stuff in there too, and I always appreciate that with them. Uh, so yeah, that's top tier recommendation. That's three movies now I think I've recommended very highly. Well, the la- that one and The Lighthouse in particular are top tier. Harpoon is just really good fun. I'd fully recommend it. Um, I think I'll I'll go for the one that's a pile of shit now before I go for uh, one of the, the better reviewed ones. So, I spoke last week pretty in-depth about the cinema score ratings. And one of the movies, the main movies that I brought up was The Grudge. Because this whole cinema score thing, apparently there's only been 25 movies or something that have ever received an F rating. Uh, And one of them recently was The Grudge. Now, I've never had that much interest in seeing it, hugely. The main reason I wanted to see it is because Nicholas Pesh. I think is how you say his name, was the one who directed it. And he directed two movies in the last few years that I saw that one of them I thought looked amazing and had a really tense atmosphere but was kind of a shambles and that was one called The Eyes of My Mother. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in it but overall it just kind of, it didn't really do much for me. Uh, and then he did one that showed at Hearthstone a couple of years ago called Piercing with uh, a really great actor called Christopher Abbott and it also so- starred Mia Wasik fuck I, I have an idea of how to say her name so Wasikosa let me have a look at her name and see if I got that right because that's I always fucking mess it up uh, Wasikosa is that how I said it it's loading now uh, okay yeah Mia Wasikowska I think that's how I was saying it. Close enough. But it's the two of those and I fucking absolutely loved it. I thought it was just really unique, interesting, really well acted and directed. Totally surprising. Never knew where it was going to go. And had a pretty distinct visual style too. And it had a lot of Jallo uh, soundtrack throughout it. Like from old Jallo movies. So the likes of Tenebrae and I think Deep Red. Some of the songs from that. A lot of familiar tunes that were playing throughout it and it just really added to the atmosphere um and it was i think ryu murakami the guy who he wrote midnight meat train and uh the fuck was the other one it wasn't verses was it oh god i'm all over the place today <laughs> trying to remember bits and pieces of fucking trivia that i have completely got me oh audition that's what it was um Audition being one of the fucking best horror movies ever made. Uh, he 
wrote the original source from, from which it's based on. Uh, so Nicholas Pesh has so far impressed me. I mean, he's not even that much older. I think he's only 30 or something like that. So he's not that much older than me. So it's kind of impressive to see someone do such unique things. Um, but with piercing and the visuals of the eyes of my mother and things like that, I thought, okay, I'm kind of sold on this. Sam Raimi has also put his name to who's also a horror hero as far as I'm concerned. Um, so despite the bad cinema score rating, I just thought, well, people are fucking hard to please anyway. So I went to see it. And the first 15 minutes were pretty good. Now, there's some kind of shitty scares at the start of it. There's a cool atmosphere to it, though. I like the opening credits to it. I had this really just evil sort of feel to it. The look of the movie was immediately off to me. I thought it was like footage from the old movie because it's it's apparently it takes place parallel to the original movie. So it's kind of a sequel. Or someone said it's a really stupid side side sequel or sidequel or some fucking stupid name they came up with. Um, But the look of the movie just looked weird. And then I couldn't unsee that for the whole thing. Now I was convinced that it was shot on an iPhone similar to the likes of Unsane or tangerine i thought this is shot on a phone the lighting is so fucking ugly and it just looks so weird that they must have shot this on a phone now apparently it was shot on a mini fucking dv camera or something like that like it just it it looked wrong to me um and that stuck out but i was like okay once the movie's good i don't really give a fuck about that and for the first 15 minutes it's a bit messy but there's a whole kind of detective at a crime scene thing and I was like okay I'm on board the crime scene they find is fucking horrific I was like okay this is going to be gritty and really good almost immediately after that it starts going further and further downhill to the point where I was actually embarrassed for some of the actors in this fucking movie and there's a lot of fucking familiar faces too so you have let me see the names here well Andrea Riseborough who I saw her first in Black Mirror, but then obviously she played Mandy in the god-tier movie Mandy that stars Nicolas Cage. Um, really distinct, unique-looking person, so like she stands out really well. And when I saw her in this, I thought, okay, so they got someone good. Then you have, uh, I think, I don't think it's Damien how you pronounce it, but Demian, I think, uh, Bashir, or Bahir, no idea. He's, uh, I think he's a Mexican actor who, he was played Bob in... Uh, the Hateful Eight and he's great in that really good in this as well uh, well for the little time he's on screen anyway uh, you have Lynn Shea who's just become a fucking horror icon at this stage um, I've always just knew her as angry old woman from most Farley Brothers movies but she's kind of just resurged now appearing in all these independent horror movies uh, Frankie Faison isn't it William Sadler who I have not seen in years now who is really looking pretty old and I'm interested to see how he'll play Death again in, uh, or Grim Reaper in uh, the new Bill and Ted movie, which is going to be a fucking joyful experience, I can know for sure. Uh, and finally, you have Jackie Weaver. Now, I'm certain, I'm going to have to just check this just to be sure, because now I know Adrian Brody's kind of the same, but yeah, she was nominated for two Oscars, the same way Adrian Brody's nominated for an Oscar. How, if you saw this as the first film that she made, you would think to yourself, how on earth did this person ever get nominated for any award? I've seen her in movies. The first thing I saw her in was Animal Kingdom. She's brilliant in it. She's been excellent in everything I've seen. But holy fuck. She is so bad in this movie that it 
there was a point in it where I actually winced in the seat at her acting. I, I can't make sense of why. Now, the whole structure of the movie is totally fucked. So, right, the basic plot of it is, I think it's parallel to the, the other Grudge movies, but basically it's about a house that's cursed. This woman who, she's living in Japan, as like a, I think she's like a nanny or something, I don't really understand what she's doing, but she gets the creeps from this house and decides, fuck it, I'm moving back to America. And the house, she, she basically brings a curse back with her. And this house is now cursed. Anyone who moves in there is... Or anyone who steps foot in there. You don't even have to live there. They become cursed as well. And all sorts of tormented, horrifying shit happens to them. Which I fucking hate. And I don't mean that in it that it scares me. I mean that it is the weakest fucking kind of horror. Is ghosts just bothering people. They're not even trying to kill them. They're just annoying them in their house. It's just the dumbest shit. This movie's full of that. And creepy faces jumping at you. It's fucking nonsense. Um, but anyway, the, the, obviously there's a body found, and Andrea Riseborough and Damien and Bashir are the two detectives trying to figure out what's happening. That's the basic run rundown of this thing. But actually, I didn't even mention this other guy. There's three stories that are happening at the same time. So, oh, John Cho, that's who it is. So John Cho is the real estate guy who sorts out the house. It shows him in the process of selling the house after something terrible has happened there and to the new people who are living there or something like that. It's really messy. Like I'm not it's not even me just trying to recall the film. It's actually just all over the fucking place. Uh then you have Jackie Weaver who she is briefly living in the house with Frankie Faison and Lynn Shea, because Lynn Shea has kind of gone a bit loopy and she they're hoping that she's gonna be able to what's the word um like euthanasia or assisted suicide she has to be like of sound mind so jackie weaver is sitting in with that family for a couple of days just to make sure that she'll be of sound mind to consent to this and then you have the detective story so and you also have william sadler's story who's like he's a, a cop who i think he witnessed the, or he was the cop on the scene of the crime and he's now addicted to coming to the house and staring at it in horror and there's like all these little stories that are lead back to this house but it's edited so badly like suddenly there's a flashback and it goes on for 20 minutes and then it's back to the main story like oh fuck i forgot i was even watching this and it happened several times and none of them are interesting every moment of horror in this is cringeworthy like it's it's like i said about that trailer for the boy too it's like a constant film of all that. Every spooky face, every fucking twist, like the way the ca- the shots are framed, you're looking at it going, okay, there's too much blank space there, something will pop out of that. And two seconds later it does. It's just so predictable by the numbers and daft. But it's not even just that it's generic and you've seen it before, it's terrible. The whole look of the movie. I, I've often wondered when I see this happen in movies, I think to myself, okay, this is a director with a vision, very clearly, when you see Piercing and you see the eyes of my mother, this chap has vision. He's wanted to do this movie, he shot it certain ways, and then studios got in the way and said, nah, we don't like that, we want to make this more uh, available to this age, we want to change this so it's more, uh, I can't even think of the word, acceptable is coming to mind, but that's not the word. Um, I fucked up this word before, this, I remember this got stuck in my head for fucking weeks. <laughs> uh, not approachable. God, this will piss me off. Um, 
Well, either way, so that make it more accessible. That's the word. Accessible for everyone else. So I thought, surely the studios got involved in this and said, look, we want you to change this and that. Not only were they not involved, as in this was what they wanted to fucking make, but Nicholas Pesh wrote it as well. So everything about it was his vision, but it was fucking terrible. Like, I don't understand how he could make such a boss job of this. It's an ugly looking movie. It's a shambles. Any kind of good point to the movie is undercut by terrible fucking scares and like the stuff that they just threw in as if like it's supposed to be scary. Like I'm embarrassed watching it. Like I think Andrea Reisberg's character stands outside having a smoke like after being had the shit sent up her from a fucking day on the job. And there's like a scary face in the window just looking at her and it just takes a step back. And I'm like what the fuck is that thing doing? Like that's something there. That's what I said before. It's stuff to scare the audience. It's not there to scare the characters because the character can't even fucking see it. It's there to make the audience go, Ooh, and it doesn't work. It just, it's dog shit. And as the movie goes on, it gets worse and worse. And there's a moment at the end where I was just embarrassed in my seat. And what, again, this is one of those things where something good will happen. It's undercut by something shite. This is kind of reversed. The ending of the film is brain dead. It's fucking stupid as can be. But then there's really kind of moody interesting way they do the end credits and I was like that was cool why couldn't that have been in a fucking good movie instead it's in this movie where I just fucking I heard two people groaning behind me when it was over and I was like jeez you saved me the fucking energy of having to do it it's just really really poor and such a shame because it kind of not only does it nearly justify that stupid fucking F rating which I, I still don't agree with I mean it is terrible like I hated this movie but like I just don't want to give cinema scores any kind of recognition um I, I was hoping there'd be something to it. I'd hoping I'd get something from it. That first 15 minutes... I can't even say that it's good. It's just that it's not bad. I thought, okay, it's leading to something. This would be interesting. People are blown it out of proportion, but they weren't. It, it's fucking terrible. And it's just a shame. And it, again, this not only ties into what I was saying about cinema scores, but certification. It's an 18 cert over here, yet it's 15s in England. And how it even received an 18s here is beyond me because it's actually not that violent. One scene, which is quite bloody, is hilarious. It involves a dummy. Like, dummy deaths I've always liked in movies because they look cool. But when the dummy looks like a mannequin that hasn't got the limbs attached properly, so it's flailing about like it's fucking going through a wind tunnel, is the worst looking thing ever. And uh, got a laugh from me and several people in the screen. So it goes to show that it wasn't effective. Um, Yeah, just an all-around terrible movie. I mean, I know this happens a lot in America. We sometimes get the tail end of it too. I think the the Bye Bye Man was in January here as well. But January seems to be the time to release shitty horror movies that no one gives a fuck about because January is is a very casual cinema-going time. So they go there to die, basically. Apparently in America, though, that one Underwater with Kristen Stewart um, apparently is doing pretty good. I've low hopes for it, but we'll see what happens. So yeah, The Grudge is fucking terrible. Uh, and that's all I have to say about that. So, two more. Nearly at the end of this now. This must be fucking gone on a while. See how long this is. Have I beat my other one? Jesus, I'm actually approaching the length of the, the last episode, which I thought was overlong. This will probably hit two hours <laughs> on the dot nearly. Uh, so I'll try to be fairly quick with uh, my review of these next two films. So one of them is one that I had wanted to see for a while. I knew it under a different name. Um before it came out I'm just closing all these fucking tabs that I have open here um, 
when I first heard about this movie, it was under the name Tough Guys. And I just assumed it was going to be about hoity-toity, asshole, fucking rich people. Which, in a roundabout way, it is. Um, But it's now known as The Gentleman. And it's Guy Ritchie's uh, newest movie, but it's, it's his first real sort of London set crime movie since... I actually haven't seen Revolver, so I, I don't know if that's in London. I don't think it is. I feel like that was in America, because I remember people didn't like it. But uh, it's his first one since Snatch. Although, maybe Rock and Roll it was as well. It's his best since Snatch, then. Let me put it that way. So it's his best film in fucking 20 years, which is crazy to think that he's been around that long. Um, But, I mean, a lot of the stuff he's been doing now, he's been doing a lot of kind of blockbuster action movies he did the Aladdin movie he did King Arthur and did the Sherlock Holmes movies and he's, he's kind of gone down a certain direction that I, I got sick of pretty quick now he did um, he did The Man From Uncle which is actually pretty good fairly entertaining action film with, with his twist on it because the likes of uh, King Arthur and stuff like that don't really have any of his uh, I suppose flair his technique his uh, what he's known for that's the best way I'll put that um. So this, like the man from Uncle, did have a lot of his traits, but it almost felt like a parody of his his traits. It didn't feel like his real work. This movie is just this is true fucking Guy Ritchie in every sense of the word, and I mean that with the highest praise. Um, if you're comparing it to Lock, Stock and Snatch, no, it's not as good, but it's certainly the best thing he's done since then, with a fucking huge all star cast. So you've got. Some of the biggest names in it would be Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, uh, what's his fucking name? <laughs> oh, I can't remember the name. Colin Farrell, Hugh Grant, who gives probably the best performance of his career, Eddie Marsden, and just a whole host of people that you'll recognise immediately when you see them. They're just people that you go, oh, that guy's in it. Just from all over British cinema. Um, the ger- general plot of it is, is that Matthew McConaughey was fairly ambitious in his youth and decided to when he was studying in london to become a drug dealer for selling marijuana and by doing that geez that was very fucking official i mean they're selling weed uh, or bush as they call it and this i think bush was another name they were going to call the film which sort of ties into what's going on in this but it's uh so much mcconaughey has become this colossal drug kingpin in uh in london even though he's an American, he still kind of adopts a lot of that. He says cunt all the time, like an English person would, and, or, and an Irish person. Uh, and the general plot of the movie, it involves him, but the, the main story is Hugh Grant is a really sleazy, like, tabloid photographer guy. Like, he just sells stories and pictures and whatever else. He's just a total piece of shit. And he's so sleazy in this, and so out of character for him. Like, I remember when I saw Cloud Atlas, he was totally out of character than his usual posh asshole kind of way um but in this he visits charlie hunnam who's matthew mcconaughey's right hand man now charlie hunnam is a weird one for me there's times where i think he's really good there's times where i think he's awful and sons of anarchy like he's can be great in certain scenes and in other scenes his accent's slipping and he's just really hamming it up and the show itself kind of went to shit but he in general can be quite good but this without a doubt is his performance of his career he's fucking superb in it um, what's his face Hugh Grant goes to visit him and says look I have all this information that can take down Matthew McConaughey 
if you give me 20 million, I won't do it. And he says, well, what information have you got? And from then you're seeing the movie through flashbacks of him telling his story in his own way. So things might be a bit more action packed than they, they actually unfold. And it's just really, really interesting narratively how they went about it. And he's obviously presented him the idea of a script. Well, he's going to give him all the pictures and whatever data files and things like that. But he also has a script that he wrote. He says, the story is so interesting that I've wrote, written a script about it. And you're kind of getting half the script, half the actual movie. And or half the actual uh, flashback story and it's just really really unique how it's done Conor Farrell plays uh, the leader of this kind of youth club boxing place and what they do is they go or they like I think they do jiu-jitsu and all kinds of shit there but th- he kind of has his own little ring of like thieves and stuff that's going on there and he's brilliant and he's just full-blooded dub throughout the whole thing so everything he says is just very relatable and stuff that I'll hear all the time so a lot of that resonated really well with me. The whole cinema was pissing themselves laughing every time he's on screen because he's just great in it. But everybody's really good in it. It's just really well written. It's sharp. The the twists, even if some of them are a bit obvious, are, they work really well. Uh, it's just the most entertaining, fun, well written and just thrilling thing that he's done since Snatch. Like I think, now I, I do want to give Revolver a proper watch, but... Uh, I don't think he's lived up to that height that he builds for himself. Because when people think of Guy Ritchie, the first thing that comes to mind... Well, there's two things that come to mind. There's either you think of Lockstock and Snatch and how good he is, or you think of he's just does blockbuster shit. This kind of brings him back to where he once was. Um, and strangely, it, it, this is another thing involving certs. It has a 16s over here. And I thought in England it would have a 15 cert because it's not that violent. There's not barely any violence in it. Uh, there's a lot of fucking swearing in it, though. But that seems to be, and obviously it's about drugs, but there's not a lot of actual drug taking or drug content. But it got an 18th cert in England. And I was thinking to myself, that's only because cunt is used like every five minutes. The fact that that word can actually affect the rating of a movie is bananas to me. It's just, I mean, I I went off the rails on this last week, but a movie like this, like I was kind of hoping it'd be 15s for people to see because it's so fucking good. And we're lucky we get a 16 so a lot more people can see it, but it's uh, I'm not even going to get into certs again certs are fucking stupid this is tremendous words shouldn't really determine what makes it an adult film compared to a film that's accessible to 15 year olds because 15 year olds probably fucking swear more than adults except maybe me but the way I see it this is a movie that will be good in the cinema but it'll be good in any way all, all I think people should do is see it that's my highest recommendation it's fucking tremendously good fun Um, again not perfect I mean like it's it narratively wouldn't be as sharp or as uh interesting as the likes of snatch especially snatch uh, and lockstock but i mean it's, it's the closest and best thing he's done to that in 20 years so it would make for a very good triple bill people include layer cake in that because i think he produced that um and i remember there was all these box sets because there's a sort of yellow color scheme to the posters of snatch and lockstock and layer cake adopted the same thing so everyone thought it was like oh this is the third movie in the trilogy which you could include it as but this this could be the fourth one. If that was a box set, I think that would just be a solid London gangsters with a bit of comedy box set. So, yeah, gentlemen, high recommendation. Oh, nearly there. Uh, finally, we're going to talk about probably the most wholesome person who has ever fucking lived. Mr. Nicholas Cage. No, not really. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers. So you have already off the bat a, a whole heap of wholesomeness 
Uh, I got to see this back in early December, I think it was. And I just thought it was absolutely... Hang on a minute, I'm just looking at this here. A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. On IMDb, it has the title listed with the exact same spelling, but it says the original title was A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, and now the new title is A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. And neighbourhoods just spelt the same way both times as well. That's bizarre. But anyway, I'm, I'm off topic here. Um, I got to see this uh, at an early screening, and before I went to it, I thought, well, I don't know much about Mr. Rogers. I know that he was like the most friendly, wholesome guy ever. He used to teach about life lessons and stuff to kids and played with puppets and all sorts. Uh, so I said I'd watch that documentary that came out about him, which is called... Uh, shit, what is it called? I see a beautiful day in the neighborhood is all I keep thinking of because that's the song he sings. What's the actual documentary called? I'll get the name of that now. Um, hmm. Why is this not coming to me? It's on Netflix as well. I, li- I literally had it in my fucking head there today when I was thinking about recording this. What is the name of this documentary? Oh my god, it's still not popped up. What is the name of this fucking thing? Why is this not coming to me? Um. Oh, Won't You Be My Neighbour, it's called. Oh, God, I was, I was actually just singing the, the fucking Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood song there. That's the second, the, the end of the song. So, <laughs> the documentary is called Won't You Be My Neighbour, and it's on Netflix now. And it's a complete, or as as complete as you can get, look at his career. And there's an amazing amount of footage actually taken for him, behind the scenes and um, while on the show, because it was done through like public access TV, so it's very cheap and he's just he's one of these people that if you heard about him and he's you heard him talk you'd think okay he has to be another jimmy savile type like he's he's so friendly and nice and his voice is so creepy that you're like he has to have a dark secret because that's that's the way all these kind of people are like the guy who fucking did the voice of elmo apparently was a pedophile so this shit fucking is so regular with these types of icons and figures that you're almost just waiting for something to come out about him but it's not the case with him he just genuinely was the most loving friendly nice person who cared about everybody and everything and that's just what made the documentary all the more fascinating that there was no sinister turn that came out in the documentary that you'd almost expect with a documentary this is just a complete account of just what a great person he was and how he single-handedly saved the funding for the the network uh, by just showing what his show was all about and what it does for kids and like change the hearts of fucking congress types or whoever the fuck they are I don't know the terms but uh, it was kind of like that amazing thing of uh, Dee Schneider going up against the I think congress again for like uh, obscenity in his music because he pretty much saved music in the 80s for like hard rock and heavy metal because he uh like his lyrics could have been interpreted as like overly sexual obscenity laws were big fucking things back in the day I mean, look at Lenny Bruce said cocksucker on stage and got arrested but with this like he showed up to the the court or wherever it was and he was in like his denim cutoffs and just looked like shit like he literally just rolled out of bed and he had his whole speech written on a fucking copybook page he had in the back of his pocket everyone was laughing thinking this guy's gonna fuck this up then delivered the most eloquent fucking speech which actually saved them Mr. Rogers, obviously in a more wholesome way, just did the same thing. He went out, gave a big speech and changed our hearts. So he's just 
I think it's important to actually see that documentary before you see this because this movie isn't about Mr. Rogers. Uh, it's about this guy played by Matthew Reese, um, who's based on a real journalist, but it's in this the journalist is called like Tom or Tom Junod or I don't know how to say his name, but he um he has like a rocky relationship with his father and uh he's he works as basically a hip piece journalist. He does these like little paragraph things about like people who are kind of falling off the face of the earth like this is set in the late 90s so mr rogers obviously wouldn't be of the same popularity still still going strong but not of the same popularity so he's given this job of oh just do a little piece about him talk about what he's like you can be as harsh as you want blah 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 so okay i'll go meet the guy and when he meets him he finds him intriguing almost suspiciously so the way i mentioned earlier the way like this guy has to have a dark secret and the more he becomes involved in or the more he involves himself in Mr. Rogers, the more he becomes involved in his life. And Tom Hanks, there's no one on earth who could have played Mr. Rogers better than Tom Hanks did. He's Here's a fucking fun fact for you as well. I only found this out after I had seen it. Because Tom Hanks is known to be one of the nicest guys ever. He's actually a distant cousin of Mr. Rogers, which they found out while making this movie. And if that doesn't show you that it's fucking genetic, I don't know what does. Or, well, maybe not genetic, but you know what I fucking mean. Um, but yeah, he's just fantastic in this movie. I think he's gotten a lot of nominations for it, and it's deserved because he's really, really good. It's a really subtle performance. He obviously studied him quite deeply, and there's that he would have got to talk to uh, his wife in real life, so he takes the part really well. But the whole movie has kind of got this... Oh, Chris Cooper, by the way, plays the guy Tom's dad, who's kind of a sleazeball fuck-up. and the, the whole thing is there's a lot of kind of heavy drama in it like it's only pg of course but there's some sort of thematic stuff that probably wouldn't make a lot of sense to younger people but again i'm kind of glad that they still kept it pg and didn't go oh well it's a bit too much for younger audiences they kept it at an age because that i think people need to know about mr rogers and i think this movie will give you a good idea of what he's like because the fact he isn't big over here or outside of america at all is baffling i think his stuff should should be on tv now and should have been on tv over the years because I, I think it's just vitally important stuff for kids to learn all the stuff that goes on in his shows i'd rather them watch that than peppa fucking pig whinging her fucking hole off or crying because she didn't get to have an extra chocolate bar or something whatever the fucking plot of the show is it's just mind-numbing shit this is the kind of stuff that would be really good for kids but as a movie, uh, it's Marielle Heller directed it, and she did Can You Ever Forgive Me, which was a really, really solid movie with Melissa McCarthy in a kind of out-of-character role. Uh, she plays opposite Richard E. Grant, and she's, like, she's a person based on a real person who forged a bunch of letters and sold them, and it's just a really interesting idea. Um, so she's pretty good at doing these, I suppose partially fictionalized takes of real stories. I suppose Can You Ever Forgive Me is more just a straight biopic, but this is based on a real thing, a real situation. Obviously, there's a lot more added drama and stuff that almost feels like drama. It doesn't feel natural in the sense of like the character backstories in it. Like actually, I was recently watching uh, Mark Kermode talking about the movie, and I was I was thinking the same thing when watching it. I was like, the stuff that's going on with this Tom character's family seems like stuff that would happen in a movie rather than something that would happen in real life um it was a weird noise my throat made there um so yeah i, I just think that the, 
that'd be my only kind of gripe with the movie. I think everything else is great and it looks really nice. It's so the attention to detail with capturing what Mr. Rogers set was like, what he was like, what his home was like, the way the program worked. It's just everything was just so fucking meticulously well done. Uh, and it's just it's just a general feel good movie. I think if you watch this and the Mr. Rogers documentary, preferably that first, so you have an idea of what this guy's like. Um, if you watch the two of them back to back, you'll just feel life affirmed because <laughs> it's just I actually found the film life affirming it's just a real it makes you want to be a better person uh, better than the fucking cunts on film twitter that's for sure but yeah I think this is something that it might not even last long in the cinema I hope it does but it, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that had a lot of uh, press for it so if you can get a chance to see, if you get a chance to see it definitely go to it i think if you were to do i don't know if i'd recommend doing a back-to-back of the lighthouse because it'd just be a total overwhelming night of emotions of tension and then happiness and all at once it would just it would it would fuck with your head but do see it if you can i would give it my highest recommendations I, again i've saying that a lot i find myself picking up on what i'm repeating while i record these podcasts because even last week i feel like i i choose a word or a, a a phrase that I use over and over because I forget I've used it two minutes ago. I actually had friends <laughs> call me out on uh, the fact that I, I use the word masterpiece a lot when I write reviews. Because to me, obviously, masterpiece is the highest fucking praise you could ever give anything. But I always just look at that word as it is one of my favourite things or it's just it's a five out of five perfect kind of rating. So, uh, <laughs> so I tend to overuse the word masterpiece. I overuse a lot of words, but... That's the way it is. But so far with all the movies, which I'm actually just going to list out again, uh, as well as the ones as the ones I forgot to get around to. Um, so yeah, Harpoon, highly recommended. Really good fun. If you can get the Arrow Blu-ray, do. Uh, you get nice artwork and loads of great extras on it, and it's just great crack. Uh, Uncut Gems, obviously I've, I've praised that to death now at this stage but it is available on netflix now do watch it and good time is also there so you can do a double bill of heart stopping fucking anxiety inducing cinema in one night should you have the energy uh beautiful day in the neighborhood obviously just talked about it there fantastic would highly recommend it the lighthouse is a masterpiece and there's a real use of that word because it is genuinely a masterpiece definitely see it uh, in the big screen if you can it's incredible um and that's one for sure for blu-ray uh, I had Bad Boys for Life written down here because I intended to see it. I think it was actually at the very start of this podcast I was talking about how my intention was to watch the second one the night before and then go see that. But finding the time to sit down and watch two and a half hours of a movie I wasn't too mad about when I first saw it in the hopes that it's a bit better this time to see a sequel that initially I wasn't too pushed on is tough work. But I am going to do it. I, I do want to see that this week. And of course Queen and Slim as well which uh, which I've, I might have actually said this on the podcast earlier because when I first heard about the movie I read it as Queenie and Slim so I just have it in my head as Queenie and Slim all the time and it's annoying that it's not actually called that um, The Gentleman terrific fully recommend that one as well great quadruple bill with uh, layer cake snatch and lock stock um, is that everything? oh no The Grudge load of bollocks don't fucking ever bother your ass with it uh, oh and Parasite as well as another masterpiece it's totally unique and fantastic Um and I do have greed here, but I'm, I'm going to save that for the end of the month because I know there's some Sony premieres coming up for it and it'll get an official release on the 21st. But my hint is that it's the kind of movie that... it, it What's the way to describe this? 
it makes you realise it's a good idea to wait a few days before you give your thoughts on something. Not even give your thoughts. I mean, you can give your thoughts straight away, but before you give a, a definite review of something. Because my thoughts on the film have changed after only a day or two. So you'll find out what I mean uh, in a few weeks. But for now, let's see how fucking far into this I am now. Have I overla- overstayed my welcome? Jesus, literally approaching two hours now. So this is even longer than last week. Um, which is fascinating. Although I, I've probably said M and taught it a fucking thousand times. That's something I notice I do as well. So I might try die down on that a bit. Uh, but yeah. Thanks for listening if you've gotten this far. <laughs> Again, it's fucking, it's a long, a long haul. I went for much longer than I expected. I wanted to have this over by like fucking five o'clock, but that's, uh, that obviously didn't happen. So thanks for listening and tune in hopefully by the end of this week. Um, I, I do want to do the, the, the top 100 films, which will be quite long. I'm going to be very brief in my descriptions because obviously when I was doing those reviews there, they all took maybe five, ten minutes each nearly. Uh, so I will be very fucking brief like the, I, I probably won't even discuss anything else I think I'll just go straight into my 100 movies because that might take up maybe the same amount of time that I've already done here uh, and it'll purely just be talking about movies so uh, it could be a two-parter it might be better off than that do 50 movies and then 50 movies the following week I'll see uh, this is a very loose podcast but I am hoping actually to get a a laptop soon or even get a land of a laptop so if anyone wants to give me a laptop please do because I'd like to be able to do this not confined to my room because I'm obviously doing this on a, a PC that's hooked up to a TV I'd like to be able to do this around because I do plan on having guests and I want to do some interviews and all kinds of stuff I have some as I said very exciting stuff planned it's just a matter of when can I get the items to do so so again thanks for listening and tune in soon again and oh by the way i figured out who the person from vietnam is it's a friend of mine who was living over there for a while uh, but he bought a phone from vietnam and he listened to spotify on that phone so it was it detected as vietnam even though his gps would probably say he's here uh still no idea who the fuck from the netherlands and now new zealand is listening and fuck knows where else but again thanks everyone for listening and you're all cons goodbye